Hi, welcome. This is Dr. John Martini. This is one of the most amazing and inspiring shows that you can listen into. If you want to be on the edge of your seats, if you want to open up your heart, if you want to expand your mind, and you want to meet incredible people, stay tuned because you're just about to experience a transformative radio show that will change your life. And you're listening to the Dr. Pat Show is coming up right next. Welcome to the Dr. Pat Show. Talk radio to thrive by. Powerful, inspiring, and coming to you live, bringing you stories of people like you and me, busting through and living life full out. Get ready to dare to wonder what your life would be like if you knew you could not fail. Hey, everybody. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Welcome to our good news segment. It's so great to have all of you tune us in and turn us on. Today we're taking, yeah, we are taking one of the most important conversations we could possibly have when it has to do with our youngsters, when it has to do with our future. Today, joining me, Dr. Kara James, Director of the Office of Minority Health and Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services. And we are talking about children covered by health insurance that have access to critical benefits like vaccines. Do you know this? And what do you think this means? Now let's talk about Medicaid, which we have talked about on this show like a lot. Medicaid and CHIP provides vaccines and other preventative benefits. We are going to get down into the weeds about this with Dr. Joining me here today, Cara James. Dr. James, thank you for joining me. Yeah, let's save a few lives if we could. Okay. Thank you so much for having me, Pat, and thank you for taking on this very important topic. Uh, yeah. So I just want to say a couple things. Um, you know, myself, I come from a, let's just say, a blended interracial family. And one of the things that I'm acutely aware of is the disparity between infants, infant survival, and other things. And so the most important thing about this for me is how do we get the word out? And what is it about these folks that don't have uh, any kind of care or insurance that they can get? Why don't they know about this and how do we get to them? So those are great questions and challenging questions. One of the ways that we try to reach out to the parents of the um, millions of kids, we have about four and a half million children in the country who still are uninsured, many of whom are eligible for programs such as Medicaid and the Children's Health Insurance Program as through programs such as yours. So we're trying to reach out and help people to learn about these programs, to encourage them to go to insurekidsnow.gov or to call our call center at 877-KIDS-NOW to find out if their children are eligible for these programs that, as you mentioned, provide so many services, including vaccines and preventive services. Yeah. So, so look, we are really in the in, in the middle of National Infant Immunization Week, but that's not that's not the whole conversation. The whole conversation is really what you bring to the table and your message, your passion, and the fact that many people don't know that you spend pretty much of the day to day multiple interviews, one right after the other, bringing the message out there. And I want to talk about Medicaid and I want to talk about CHIP for a minute. Um, when people hear Medicaid, they have a particular view of it. Clearly, what I've been able to do a little bit on my show is give people the depth and the breadth of what Medicaid does. And up to this point, I really talked about the benefits of Medicare for addiction and recovery. Now, let's take the conversation to our infants, Medicaid and CHIP. Now, please help us bridge the gap 
for understanding about Medicaid and CHIP, about these programs, and how it saves lives of our infants. So the Medicaid and CHIP programs are vital to our infants. So first of all, we just start with Medicaid, which has been around for more than 50 years, and the Children's Health Insurance Program, or what we call CHIP, has been around for more than 20 years. Its vital role starts on day one of an infant's birth in terms of Medicaid provides coverage for more than half the births in this country and are covered via Medicaid. So access to prenatal services for those mothers to make sure that they're able to deliver a healthy child. And then starting from that point, providing coverage, providing access to preventive services, screenings. We talk about uh, the programs such as the EPSDT or early periodic diagnostic screening and testing to make sure that we identify potential issues early and are able to get kids connected to the services that they need to be able to grow and thrive into healthy adults. Okay, let's talk about, um, let's pull some things from the headlines, right? Uh, but I, I want to get to something very important and the question really that's an overarching question. It seems common sense, but not so much. Why is it so seriously important, critical, in my opinion, for children to have health coverage? Actually, when I ask you that question, I am shocked that I even have to ask you the question. I really am. I mean, don't we live in the most incredible country in the world? And I'm asking you a question about children which assumes that children don't have health care coverage. That is correct. Um, it is something that we have made great strides in reducing the number of children who don't have coverage in this country, um, but we still have four and a half million children who are uninsured. And the reason that having health insurance is so vitally important is because of, as we've talked about, a number of those services that can help to help these children stay healthy, to thrive, and to grow into healthy adults. And it includes, as you've talked about, substance use, treatments and services, mental health services, but also eye exams. And when we think about why this is so important, coverage is so important to make sure that kids are able to participate in school and to graduate. We know that health insurance is associated with high school graduation as well as college graduation. For children who have that, they are more likely to complete both high school and graduate, um, which means they can go on to be um, successful adults. And so that's just one of the reasons, but also kids get sick. Um, and it can be a minor illness, it can be something more serious. And having this health coverage means that they're able to get the treatment that they need to um, stay healthy or in cases where there may be a real serious illness and there are special needs that the children have, they have access to the supports and their family have access to the supports that they need to help them have a high quality of life as best as possible. Yeah, and one of the things I wanna ask you, and then we're gonna go dig deeper into some of the things that this actually takes care of for families. Um, please tell us, how do people find out more about this? Because I, I wanna get this a couple times in this short interview. I want to make sure people have this information, the link, the website. Absolutely. So the website is insurekidsnow.gov. Again, that's insurekidsnow.gov. And the phone number is 877-KIDS-NOW. Again, 877-KIDS-NOW. 
Yeah, and that's, let me just say it for folks out there that you're trying to figure out what that is. 877-543-7669. All right, let's get into some of the things that folks may not know. And they may not know what the benefits are. Let's go through the realm. Doctor's visits, regular checkups, because these are important. Once a child is sick, it's usually at the point, and, and this has been my experience, especially when we're talking about underserved populations. Once a child is sick, they are really, really sick by the time a parent can really say, let me get some help. What we're talking about today perhaps could prevent that. Absolutely. It can prevent it and it can identify it at an earlier stage before it is both more severe and more costly. And I know that um, families, when we're talking about Medicaid and the CHIP program, we're talking about families that don't have a lot of resources to begin with, and they may be concerned about some of those out-of-pocket costs. And Medicaid and the Children's Health Insurance Program have very low out-of-pocket costs for those families so that that is not a barrier to being able to access the care that they need. Yeah, and now let me just ask you some logistical questions. Is there like an enrollment period? What should people know about the call to action like right now if they're listening to this? Right, so the call to action is we do want people to take a look right now and make sure that their kids are covered through insurekidsnow.gov or again that call center at 877-KIDS-NOW. But the good news is Unlike other programs such as Medicare or uh, employer coverage, which people may be familiar with, Medicaid and the Children's Health Insurance Program do not have an enrollment period. So parents can enroll their kids at any point during the year to get their coverage. But we really want them to take a look right now as the weather's getting warmer and people are beginning to think about summer um, and their plans and to make sure that their kids are protected. Um, you know, there, there are so many questions, so many things to talk about. I want to just go to a sort of an open question for you so I make sure I don't forget anything. What are the most important things from your perspective our audience should know about? Probably things I haven't asked you about, but I know that this is your passion and your purpose. What should we know uh, about? Wh- where do we take this conversation to give people information? Right. So one thing to know is that there is help out there um, and that this program is one of the programs that provides access to coverage for more than 35 million children around the country. The other thing to know, and I know in the news we're talking a lot about um, measles outbreaks and including, you know, sort of where we've had some cases there in Washington, and that Medicaid provides coverage for vaccines so that parents can get their children the protection that they need, Um, and that there are programs out there in vaccines for people who don't have insurance and may not qualify. There's a Vaccines for Children's program that offers free vaccines to uninsured and underinsured, as well as some of our tribal members, uh, American Indian, Alaska Native children, I know. You have a number of populations in Washington, and people can learn more about vaccines and the information that is available through vaccines.gov, but we also want them to talk to their provider to find out what's right for them and their family based on their health histories and other risk factors. So again, vaccines.gov, but learn about the coverage and sign up for it at insurekidsnow.gov 
and there is help out there to make sure that our children are able to grow and thrive into healthy adults. Well, I can't thank you enough. And so uh, one last thing I want to say to you, and I want to thank you for your passion, your dedication, and taking this message out there. Uh, Again, please give us the website, but more importantly, what is your personal message? What would you like to leave us with today? Oh, that's a, that is such a great question. So the website, again, is insurekidsnow.gov, and the call center is 877-KIDS-NOW. Please learn about vaccines. Talk to your providers to get the facts and learn about what's right for you at vaccines.gov. And I think really the personal message is there is help available for everyone that we can through these programs and others, make sure that the four and a half million children who are uninsured have coverage and have access to the services they need to grow into healthy, successful adults. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for all that you're doing. We really appreciate you here. Thank you. Thank you. All right, everybody, we're going to take a short break. We'll be right back. This was Dr. Cara James. For more information, yeah, I got a number, one 877 543-7669. Now, if this is not for you, pass it on to somebody that could save a child's life. We'll be right back. Okay, everybody. This is, yeah, super duper good news segment. Uh, you're going to be hearing this on the Dr. Pat Show as well as on our new iPower podcast segment. Look, here's the deal. I'm a small business owner. And if there could be a nickel for everything I did not know or did not do properly, I wouldn't be saying I'm a small business owner. I would be a big business owner. But joining me here today is Richard Whitworth. And why is he here? Managing Director, Business Consulting, Satara Financial Group. We are talking about what? Trends. Trends in the current small business climate. Richard, thank you for joining me here today. I think I don't think I'm like I don't think I'm any different than anybody else. Like if I had a nickel for every step I took where I stepped in a pothole along this pathway, yeah. I would be so rich, right? You know, Dr. Pat, it's, you're square on and, and you hit it right on the head is that the beauty of being a small business owner is that you have a plethora of opportunities in front of you. The challenge of being a small business owner is to really think about formally, how am I going to navigate those waters to an eventual end, which for, the most, for most people is growth and ultimately growth sustainably over the long term. But there are pitfalls along the way that I think that if you take that formal empirical approach to running your business, you're going to hopefully be able to to navigate those waters more effectively than not. Look, uh, one of the things I love to talk about is helping people be successful. This week is Small Business Week, or we're getting ready, fired up for it. Um, I, I just got to ask you a question. Uh, it, it, if we could take a look at where we are today, where we were, how would you characterize the current business environment for, for small businesses, right? Not just Main Street uh, or Main Street financial advisors, but, you know, where the heck are we? Are we doing okay? Sure, that's a great question, Dr. Pat. And I think by and large, looking at both sort of the macroeconomic data as well as just the anecdotal evidence we hear from working with the 8,000 financial advisors who affiliate with us and through them, their end clients who cut the cloth from teacher, firefighter, policeman to business owner, yeah, I think the climate is still very good. You know, we just came out with some really good GDP information recently. We're still in a upswing in the market cycle. And what we're hearing from advisors and through them, their 
business owner clients is that the, the, the environment is good. There's still capital to invest in the business. I think that people have been able to take some profits off of the top and thankfully reinvest them in the business versus taking them more just as a distribution. I also think that as investors are coming to, to our, advisor, our advisors as clients, they're coming with more unique and complex circumstances that demand professional financial advice. You know, here we are 10 years or eight to 10 years into an upswing in a bull market, and, and things are st still going really well. We're seeing growth in the international markets. We're still seeing growth across both manufacturing and professional services in the United States. I mean, by and large, the climate is good right now for small business owners. You know, that being said, we do think that as part of your normal business planning cycle, you have to prepare for the downturn. Mm -hmm. And when we work with our business owner clients, we're constantly having the discussion, hey, times are good, but how is the business well, excuse me, how is the business able to withstand a 10 or 15% drop in revenue? Do yeah. you have enough in retained earnings to be able to weather that downturn? Yeah. Do you have a service model in place that's going to adhere to your standards and exceed client expectations regardless of where you are in the market cycle? Those are all good business management discussions and initiatives to embark upon because that solidifies you regardless of where you are in the cycle. You know, one of the other things I love to talk about, and I want to ask you about this as well, um, we are in the uh, independent radio business, meaning we pay a lot of money for airtime on stations all over the country and also abroad. We're an international show. We're on FM stations in Australia. But here's the mm -hmm. thing we learned, and I want to ask you about it. One of the counterintuitive things that I've been told that we did in 2007 and 8, remember that year? Maybe maybe you're not as old as I am. But we oh, were I doing remember this, it well. Yeah, we were 15 years. One of the counterintuitive things we did, we grew, we built an entire new network of radio. How counterintuitive is that? Should people be thinking about, yeah, this is what I do now, but what might I do differently as I move forward? Is that part too of looking at what the advisors do and say to people, hey, can you be creative? What can you do to overcome some of these challenges creatively? Absolutely. When we work with our advisors and, and their clients on a regular basis, I'm a big believer in taking advantage of chaos and disruption. Yeah. You know, when the 2000, 2007, 2008, when really everyone was wondering, you know, is this capitalist system that we have disintegrating right now, the people who were able to capture that disruption and find a way to drive change through that are the ones that were the most successful. And it gets down to just the basic building blocks of being a good business owner. You know, when we look at the industry, we know that clients don't leave financial advisors because of poor investment returns. No. They by and large leave because of poor service and poor communication. And service and communication are two attributes of running a successful business that operate regardless of where the market cycle is. And those firms, I think, during a downturn that are able to reach out and proactively engage their clients, how can we help you? We're weathering the storm with you side by side, but we know this is just a portion or a segment of the cycle. Let's figure out a way to take advantage of this disruption. I mean, people, even you think about this 07, 08 timeframe, people made money in the capital markets. They may have gone into non-correlated asset classes. They may have done things differently, but there are always opportunities to take advantage of that disruption and drive that business growth. Um 
many things to talk about, but let's make sure that we tell folks, first of all, how they can find out more about this, right? Because, you know, as people start to think of, what's my purpose in this world? What do I want to do? Um, how can they find out more? And then I want to get to some tips for people. Definitely. So in terms of Cetera Financial Group, the easiest way to find us is www.cetera.com. We have about 8,000 financial advisors who affiliate with one of our six broker dealers. And we really believe that regardless of what the client need is, we have a Main Street advisor who's going to be able to help them achieve their financial objectives and financial well-being. Me personally, easiest way to reach out is on LinkedIn. It's just Richard, and my last name is Whitworth, W-H-I-T-W-O-R-T-H. Um, and I can say that one of my personal beliefs is and my commitments is I want to help business owners make the right decisions because I fully believe that if I can engage a business owner and help he or she maximize the value of their, their enterprise, that we're going to end up helping that Main Street American achieve an objective. And I don't care if that's how they're going to buy groceries or take care of their families or invest for their financial well-being. If we operate as independent, successful, strategic business owners, everyone's going to win across that equation. Uh, I love that we're talking about this. Now, look, I know we've got a few minutes left, but I want to make sure that for our listeners, many of them are small business owners, really super great people in the Western Washington, Seattle area. Uh, as well as across the country. So one of the things that I want to make sure that they have is some of the top right now 2019 tips from you all. Definitely. And I think it falls into two specific categories. The first of which I would say is, is managing to the bottom line with metrics. Every business, regardless of the industry or the sector in which it operates, should have three to five financial metrics that they're able to easily calculate and track on a repeatable basis. That could be something as simple as revenue per professional or the number of clients that a support person or a client service associate is managing because it allows you to capacity plan much more proactively for your organization. If your marketing and business development does really well and all of a sudden you add an extra 100 new clients to your firm, you can make sure your staffing model is ready to absorb that new business and maintain and exceed those client expectations. The second category I would say is around the continuity and the succession aspect. Too often the old phrase, the cobbler's children wear no shoes, yeah. is no more apt than with a small business owner. And when we think about continuity and succession, we separate it into three specific areas. The first of which is the physical business continuity. What happens if there is a disruption in the business on a daily basis? be it weather-related or just the power grid goes out. The second one is the personal continuity of the principal owner and operator, meaning can you step out of your business for one, two, three weeks for disability, illness, or because your spouse is ready to take that three-week European vacation? Do you have the systems and procedures and processes repeatably in place that you can step out and the business can survive without you being there to pick up the phone on a Monday morning? And lastly is the formal exit strategy for the, the business owner, the G1, the G1 business owner, the generation one, making sure that your exit strategy is formally noted and known to both staff, clients, as well as your beneficiaries or spouse. Because for most small business owners, the monetization of the business at, upon retirement is their biggest economic windfall and drives their own personal retirement. 
In addition, it solidifies the legacy of the generation one owner. Most business owners are in it because they love clients and they love helping people achieve an objective. And making sure that you have a formal exit planning process in place both maximizes the equity investment or the enterprise value of your organization, but helps ensure its legacy is going to survive after you ride off into the sunset and that G2 or that next gen professional comes in to manage, own, and operate the business. Yeah, I love what you just shared with us. And, you know, what you're really talking about is smart business that many people don't think about. You know, there is an emotional, there's a psychological, and then there is a physical uh, repercussion from that exit strategy you just talked about. And most of the time, we only think about the physical part. But what happens to the people that stay behind, as well as the new person, sometimes can cause the business to continue to thrive or literally tank. And I'm really thrilled that you brought that up because there is a strategy for that that supports and motivates people and a strategy sometimes right that sometimes you need to keep that first generation a little bit in the loop, but other times not. Um, again, thank you for today. I want to ask you a couple more questions. One is please say that website again for everybody. Definitely. And thank you so much for the opportunity to speak to you and your listeners. The website for Cetera is www.cetera.com. Um, financial services. We now know that there are many, many small business owners in financial services. And you talked about a few things. Um, I want to ask you kind of a trend question. I'm not sure you know how much information you have. I know personally that women are coming to the forefront of small business entrepreneurship at a rate and a pace that we have never seen in history. Are we prepared to adapt and adjust to these new kind of small business owners? And, you know, I'm not going to go to men are from Mars and women are from Venus, but there is some truth to that, especially even in business. Absolutely, Dr. Patton. I think you... You bring up a really great point, which is I believe that that small business owners and specifically, you know, financial advisors as small business owners, we should represent the fabric of society and we should have the team members and staff persons on on hand to be able to meet the needs of clients. Women as a as a segment of our industry is growing really rapidly. And I couldn't be more thrilled about it because. Yes, you know, you can say men are from Mars and women are from Venus, but I think that what, what female financial advisors bring to the table a lot more than their male counterparts is a level of emotional intelligence. Um, it's the old idea of being eye to eye and on the same side of the table with someone. And, and I believe, and I come from a matriarchal family, um, and, and I know it from my grandmom and my mom, is that they, they were tremendous professionals and, and individuals. And I think that women are in a unique position to help drive this this industry and this profession forward. I mean, we even know statistically that approximately 70 to 80 percent of assets will leave the primary financial advisor at the death of one of the spouses. And more often than not, it's the male who passes away first. The female uh, in the relationship hasn't had control over the finances, if you kind of think of it from a generalization standpoint, and then they're not going to work with the, in the financial advisor that was the previous relationship with the, with the male spouse. So this generational wealth transfer and this spousal wealth transfer is just inevitably going to draw towards female advisors. And I, I couldn't be more excited about it because of that level of emotional intelligence, I think, that they bring to the table. Knowing that financial management 
is as much about your investing behavior as it is about your own personal behavior. Yeah. Thank you so very much. I know you got to run. Uh, thank you so much for everything today. And again, please leave us with the website. Yep. It's uh, www.cetera.com. And thank you so much for the opportunity to speak today. All right. And boy, did he speak. We're going to take a short break, everyone. We'll be right back. Hey, everybody. Welcome. Welcome to our positive news segment. Today, I, you know, my mom used to say to me, listen, listen, girls, what goes around comes around. And now what does that mean today? I never thought in a million years that as a kid growing up, marching uh, right in line with the American Legion from the Bronx in New York, I'm not even going to tell you that I played a glockenspiel. Okay, if you ever want to know what that is. Uh, on Memorial Day, I, I never thought in a million years that I'd be sitting here having a conversation with the National Commander of the American Legion, Brett P. Rystad, joining me here today. U.S. Army veteran, elected was elected the 100th National Commander of the American Legion during the organization's 100th National Conference in August of 2018. And so my mom was right. But I want to just hit a pause button and introduce you to this amazing person. First of all, we should have a pause to remember all that have come before us. Today we get to celebrate, we get to honor the nation's largest veterans organization observing its what? 100th birthday. Commander, it's great to have you. Thank you, Dr. Pat. It's great to be with you as well. So, you know, so one of the things that everybody may or may not know is I grew up on the East Coast. I grew up in New York, and I am sure you're familiar with how many various parades, how many different events the American Legion participates in, right? Uh, it's interesting that you say that because <laughs> I grew up in a New York metropolitan area myself, so yes, I am familiar with it. Exactly. Whether it's a Macy's Day parade or Columbus Day or whatever it is, that was it. But... Even when you consider all that, we still don't pause to honor what this particular show is about. And that's what we need to do. We need to hit the pause button and honor my family, your family, the family members of so many veterans who are still struggling daily. I want to ask you, this day, uh, on your watch, what is the most important message you're bringing to us today, sir? Well, if you're looking at issues that we're trying to address uh, with our membership, um, mem member status doesn't matter when we're, we're out uh, uh, advocating on behalf of our veterans. But, you know, some of the things that are really important today are, are trying to get a control uh, and, and eliminate veteran suicide, uh, which is, is front page news more often than it should be. Yeah. And, uh, uh, we're, we're dealing with that. We deal with issues like women's health care and the unique needs that our women veterans have. Uh, veteran homelessness, which still exists in, in some areas of our country. Uh, trying to get veterans employed, which I think we're doing a reasonably good job with. Uh, we're looking at uh, issues like securing the necessary funding to ensure that our warriors uh, uh, have the tools that they need to ensure that we have a strong national defense and we're um, capable of going out anywhere in the world and being able to uh, uh, to exert our our power where necessary 
So there are a lot of issues. Um, You know, there are secondary issues as well. Mm -hmm. We recently had a government shutdown that impacted the pay of our United States Coast Guard. And uh, the Legion uh, went ahead and began to offer cash grants to our Coast Guardsmen of the lower ranks who uh, uh, were raising children and found themselves in a financial hardship. But we were also on Capitol Hill trying to ensure with our lawmakers that there was a short-term and a long-term solution to this in the future. You know, one of the things that I I so wanted to talk with you about today, uh, of course, are the issues, but I also wanted to talk about what the American Legion believes in and and what you advocate for, right? Because I I think that, you you know, we know, uh, or if people don't know, and I actually, let me take that back. I don't think people really know all of the challenges that service members are facing. Um, you know, for us, we've been advocates for years. But today, you have stepped up, and your organization provides multiple aspects of relief, support, and mentorship. So let's talk about that in celebration of, like, 100 <laughs> Sure, sure. We, you know, our organization um, has about two million members right now. We have about thirteen thousand American Legion posts around the world, and you know, those posts are all active in our communities and assisting our communities whichever way they can. But to give you a little bit of background about the organization, uh, we were founded by World War One veterans in 1919. Uh, they were confronted with uh, issues that. Uh, uh, that we take for granted today is being resolved. I mean, they came home to uh, a country that did not have the hospital space that was needed for the many of them that were sick and wounded. Uh, they, uh, um, you know, it was, it was uh, uh, difficult for them to get uh, benefits. So they had to work with Congress uh, not only to, uh, uh, to create these uh, uh, offices within the federal government that were effectively uh, at working on behalf of the veterans and the uh, uh, the widows and the orphans uh, of, of the First World War. Mm-hmm. And what they were able to do was to create uh, an infrastructure that uh, became today's Department of Veterans Affairs. So, uh, you know, that was a, uh, uh, you know, that was a big thing. But, you know, we do so much in our communities, uh, and it's all based on you know, our preamble uh, to the Constitution of the American Legion, which outlines the principles uh, of our organization. But uh, more simply put, we have something called the uh, four pillars of service, and that outlines the priority areas in which the American Legion programs are built on. So uh, on a foundation of God and country, uh, we have four pillars, and those four pillars are our veterans, our children and youth, our national security and national defense, and the promotion of Americanism and and, uh, patriotism in our country. So our organization is involved in helping at at every level. We have our national level that has programs such as our temporary financial assistance program that aided the Coast Guard members. Uh, We have a national emergency fund uh, that, that aids our members in a time of natural disasters. Uh, We have a a strong law and order program that helps support our first responders. Um, You know, we we have programs at the local level that uh, reach even deeper sometimes uh, uh, in terms of how they support their local government and uh, local populations. So, uh, you know, we've had 100 years to perfect this. 
And, you know, starting out in the very beginning, only worrying about, you know, our, our, the needs of our veterans and to, uh, to growing to where we are today, having this, this uh, plethora of programs for not just our veterans, but our communities. I mean, I think we're a mainstay organization. And I think that, uh, uh, you know, my hope is that uh, we've, we've had a strong 100 years that, uh, uh, you know, we'll chart a course for the future and uh, have a strong future in many years uh, uh, ahead of us to continue to help veterans and, and our communities and our children and youth. You know, one of the things that I remember, and this is really important for, I, I think I want to bring it up for sure. You know, it's very easy, and we certainly have watched this with our indigenous people who have made it a point to really pass on their legacy. And I think that what we're talking about today and what you're doing is very important so that we pass on the stories and we tell the stories and we pass on the legacy. Um, this Memorial Day, right, uh, that's, that we are facing here is, is special in a number of different ways. It's a milestone for you, but I also think it's very special in terms of making sure we don't forget you know, it's so easy to forget. And, and a shout out to Hollywood for a moment, because I think there are more movies coming out about World War II now than I think I've ever seen. But isn't it also important to really talk about the significance about Memorial Day this year, the milestone, but also the reminder of how much support you all are providing? Oh, I, I totally agree with you. And, you know, the first thing I generally would say in this instance is that, you know, don't confuse Memorial Day with Veterans Day. Right. Veterans Day is an opportunity for us to, uh, you know, to, to, to celebrate the service of our, uh, of our veterans uh, and our active duty service members around the country. Memorial Day is a day in which we memorialize those that have given their lives during their service to our country. Uh, whether it be through combat or through injury, uh, uh, you know, through training accidents or even illness while they were serving the United States military. And, uh, you know, it, it's not a holiday of barbecues and, mm -hmm. and, you know, parades and such. I, you know, if you ask a veteran or if you walk up to a veteran and, and you, you exchange pleasantries and your salutation is happy Memorial Day, they're probably going to look at you a little strange because what's happy about Memorial Day? Um, it, it tells me that the person that says Happy Memorial Day doesn't understand what Memorial Day is all about. Oh, right. And, and that kind of that frustrates our, our veterans. But but consider too that the the memorialization of veterans or of uh, a Memorial Day is uh, something that means so much to the family members of of those that have given their lives, uh, remembering those sacrifices. Uh, our gold star families, uh, you know, they're the people that have to live with the, uh, uh, the knowledge that their loved one, you know, gave their lives for their country. Uh, and while that's something to be proud of, that's also something that's, that's terribly saddening because it cuts the life short of somebody that, uh, uh, you know, is a family member. And consider also the fact that uh, how we treat Memorial Day uh, will impact on those that are currently serving our country. By knowing that, uh, uh, you know, by knowing that we have their support, uh, that we have their back, and that if something ever happens to them, 
uh, they will always be remembered for their sacrifice. Mm. Uh, you know, I, I, uh, as a young child, I never forgot the picture of my favorite aunt and uncle in their military uniform. Never forgot that, n uh, really. And had, had many conversations about what that is, right? Both my aunt, my uncle. Uh, my dad did not serve because he played a vital role here as a truck driver and, and, and really supporting what was going on on the ground here. But here's the question I want to ask you. I know we've got like a few minutes left. First of all, how can people find out more? And then my second question really has to do with what we can do better to ensure that our military uh, is provided the high quality of life for their family members, for themselves, that they really deserve for putting their lives on the line for us. Okay. Well, to learn more about our organization, uh uh, I would uh, I would recommend that you and your audience go to our national website, which is legion.org, uh, and and that has uh, a, a large amount of information on there and links to things that uh, will take you into learning about what our mission is and and about our centennial and and about our programs and such. Uh, as far as getting people to uh, uh, you know to support. Um, our, our military, I, I think that uh, uh, joining a veteran service organization would be a great first step for those that have served their country. Um, there are many of them out there. The American Legion is currently comprised of wartime era veterans uh, that, that have served honorably uh, as, de as determined by Congress, but we are undergoing an effort right now to try to open up those wartime periods uh, that would recognize those that served in the peacetime periods uh, between the wartime periods for their service during uh, the Cold War and hazardous periods or hazardous times as well. And that may impact on, on our opening up our membership to, to them as well. But, uh, I, I, you know, when we have Memorial Day, when we have Veterans Day, uh, understand, the, prioritize the, the, the weekend and what it's for. Uh, it, it's a time for us to show our respects to our military personnel. You know, we comprise maybe 1% of the population. And, uh, you know, that's, that's when you consider the size of our country and the population of our country. Uh, it, it's, it's a very minuscule amount of people that uh, put their lives on the line uh, for the rest of us to be able to live free. And to give them that proper uh, respect uh, by coming out to a ceremony at a local cemetery that uh, recognizes the, uh, um, you know, those that gave their lives for their country from, from your local township, uh, you know, that goes a long way uh, for, for the family and, and, and to show uh, others that, uh, uh, you know, that, that, that we support uh, what our military does for our country. Well, look, there's so much more you and I can talk about, but I know you're really, uh, you're on a fast track here to get this message out. I want to thank you so much. Two things, website again, and your personal message. What would you like to leave us with? And thank you. Well, le legion.org uh, is our website. And gee, I haven't had time to think about a personal message. Uh, <laughs> you know, I want to thank our veterans for their service to our country. That's, that's what it's all about. Uh, and, uh, you know, I, I hope that your your listening audience, uh, you know, was able to take something away from our conversation and uh, uh, will we'll give more uh, consideration to uh, to this upcoming Memorial Day. 
Thank you. Thank you, Commander. Thank you so much. For those of you out there, please, please, please remember how important not only this day is, but how important it is to support those who have supported us for so very long. Let's take a short break. We'll be right back. Welcome, everyone. Welcome. I'm so honored to be doing this segment with Dr. Patricia Dorn, um, Director of Rehabilitation Research and Development, Department of Veterans Affairs. Now, look, we have done a series of shows over the duration of the Dr. Pat Show. And one of the things we learned, including interviewing directors of the VA, uh, Congress people along the way, and one of the things we know right now is there is a way to bridge the gap for veterans. VA medical centers nationwide celebrate veterans and their participation in, I love my favorite words, wait for it, cutting edge research. Joining me here today, Patricia Dorn, Dr. Patricia Dorn, is going to share what Research Week is and how is research accelerating bridging the gap. Uh, welcome to the show. Great to have you here. Thank you very much. Look, um, I, I know uh, as, a, as a researcher myself, I also know the value of it. But you all are doing something more than research. And one of the things I want to ask you about is part of bridging the gap is not just looking at cutting-edge research, but then taking that cutting-edge research and providing a call to action for it. Tell us about VA Research Week, why this is important. And then also, how do we go from research to action? Great. So, yes, yeah, so the Research Week is happening May 13th through 17th throughout the our integrated healthcare system. Over 60 VAs are going to be having uh, events that welcome the veteran, their family, the community to come in and meet investigators, hear about the research, see demonstrations, perhaps meet some of the veteran participants in the research, some of the administrators, and uh, get a, a more of a bird's eye first person view of what's happening okay now look i can talk about you you have a lifelong interest in serving people with disabilities um and you and i sort of have a very interesting similar childhood of what happens when we volunteer what happens when we are in front of somebody that perhaps uh is not exactly like we are but doesn't mean that they're any less. So you are clearly embedded from a professional and a personal perspective. I want to ask you this question. For you, how do you see this unfolding? Given your early, early lifelong interest, how do we remove the obstacles that we need to remove in the public arena so that we can get the kind of medical advances and innovations to our vets that they need? Uh, well, thank you. So, it, it, yes, I and I will say that those who work in VA, we serve veterans. That's what, what we do. And it becomes a very personal matter for us, uh, be it a family member. We have many veterans working in VA uh, so that, who serve the country. And so it, it, uh, the mission is it's there. It's deep. It's personal and it's very fulfilling, and the idea of, of veterans, uh, individuals who, as you said, may not look or, or talk or walk exactly like we do, and to really uh, celebrate that diversity, but also to bring advancements so that the veteran who has a health care condition, a disability, can become as fully functional as possible 
as independent as possible to return to family, to work, to community, to the things that they, they want to do for the, the rest of their lives after um, having served the country as military personnel. And so it's um, that kind of a, a, a scope, I think, that, that people that we take, people take in the, in the VA when we are, are here to serve, um, serve the veterans and improve their, their lives. And it, it's really the idea that research does make a difference. Research does provide advancements, uh, answers, new interventions, new devices that the veteran and then the country benefits from too. And we're, we're happy for that. And then moving it into practice, into guidelines, into the system, which is part of the beauty of this integrated healthcare system that uh, serves nationally. Uh, let's take a look at uh, exactly when we say research, uh, and, and I want to make sure that also uh, you let folks know how they can find out more. But let's take a look at the types of research that's being done, uh, because I think that once we sort of uncover this for the people listening, they're going to be able to understand that the research you're doing also transcends, moves beyond uh, the the VA community and really is innovative for the public as well. Tell us about the types of research and how we can find out more. Sure. So there is a website that listeners can go to. It's www.research.va.gov. And there you can learn about the research, learn about Research Week and where the activities are happening, as well as going to the local VA websites and learning what's happening specifically in the local area. So that's one place to, to go to. Uh, for the veteran to learn about research and perhaps choose to participate in it, uh, their local VA, when they go in for care, for visits, there will be um, posters up about research studies that are happening right there, talking to their care provider, their case manager, that they have an interest in participating in research and uh, helping them to um, find studies that may be appropriate for them to participate in. Um, I want to go back a little bit in time. Um, There have been accomplishments in VA research that I don't believe the public knows about. Can we just go back a little bit in time and talk about what some of the accomplishments and innovations have been from from this, from this body of work, from also this arm uh, of support for our VAs? Certainly. So this, uh, as you indicated, is is maybe maybe um, a, a good. This will be a good surprise to yeah. for the public to to hear that we were involved in the first successful liver transplant that really opened that uh, that kind of uh, care and option, making that real clear connection between smoking and development of disease, as well as development of the nicotine patch, as well as understanding early treatment and how to control high blood pressure, the invention of that implantable cardiac pacemaker. Uh, These are um, discoveries, activities, interventions that I'm imagining are going to resonate with a lot of people listening. Well, and then, you know, part of some of the other things that I know I'm, I'm familiar with, too, is some of the groundbreaking work that you did in treating cardiac arrhythmias. Uh, and, and I think that's important. But even more important is, you know, we know, know that the, uh, you know, our, our, our veterans are really subject to a whole range of things, including stroke. 
And, you know, you also are responsible for best practices in that. So there's much that folks can find out at www.research.va.gov. Um, look, I know we've got a few minutes left. I want to ask you about what you're most excited about. I, I'm sure you're doing research that you can't talk about, but I'd really like to get a sneak peek on the future, the vision, what some of the things are that you're looking into now, what excites you most about something we may hear about in a year or 18 months? Sure. So first of all, none of the work we do is, it's, is secret. It's all posted on NIH wow. reporters. It can be looked up with a, an agency search with VA. I know it's, it's a little spidery, but you can get to all, we post all the research we do. None of it is uh, behind doors. It's all, all can be known. And some of the things that we're working on, particularly in, in my, the service that I'm in, Rehab Research, has to do with brain-computer interface. So that's an implantable cortical device where intentional a person's thought to move a computer um, a, a cursor to move a robotic arm because they can't do that themselves. They have no use of their body, like in ALS or a sp high spinal cord injury. We're making early advancements in that uh, with uh, success, and that's still in the lab space, but that will move forward. Forward, uh, as well as uh, prosthetic arms, so prosthetic limbs where they're very functional to do tasks and have uh, and have the the use of an arm back if you lost it through uh, limb loss. But now adding sensation to touch because right now people it's functional, but you you can't. It's not the natural feel. That those of us who have our natural um, arms and hands, so be able to actually hold someone's hand, a loved one's hand, and feel it to pick up an object and really feel it, to pick up a child or grandchild and actually get the sensation back takes a person to another level of function and completeness, if you will. Well, and you know, one of the things I like, and I, I know we've got like two minutes left, what I love about what you all do is you're absolutely partnering with other organizations. And you're talking about, you know, uh, VA employees, you know, participating in the research, the VA's uh, research's million veteran program. I mean, there's just so much that has come in the past. But most importantly, what I love about this is that you have your eye on the future. Last question. What do you believe, as you look ahead, what do you believe is your greatest challenge that you need the public's help with? Help with. I'm going to say it quickly. One is that the public understands there is an active VA research program specifically for veteran-centric care that then feeds into the nation. And then the, the, uh, the need of, that we all face in moving the discoveries forward, translating the discoveries into practice, and then the nation picking it up. Wow. Thank you so very much. Please give out the website. And one last question. What's your personal message? What do you want to leave us with today? Uh, that those of us who, who work in VA, we we've, uh, serve veterans. That is very much the driving force for us. It's in our mission statement, and it's well beyond the words. Um, we feel it in our hearts. Wow. Thank you so very much. Thank you for all that you do. Again, provide the website for folks if you don't mind. It is www.research.va.gov. Thank you. Thank you so much. Dr. Patricia Dorn, everybody. I'm Dr. Pat. We're going to take a short break. We'll be right back.